You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Final hour on this Tuesday, Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. We're going to get to the bottom line with baseball, the true bottom line about how much money the owners could be losing with this abbreviated baseball season. Spent some time with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar last hour. Always great to talk to Kareem. You know, there's a competitive side to him, but you usually don't see that. But when I said to him, look, did it bother you when you weren't named the greatest college basketball player of all time? And Michael Jordan was. And he said, no, nah, wasn't bothered. It's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and he's correct. I mean, it's a fact. Kareem is the greatest college basketball player of all time. And then he talked about Bill Russell. Uh, Wes Unseld passed away. The Hall of Famer Kareem had played against him. We talked about a variety of things, obviously, with what's going on in Minneapolis. Uh, had some things to say. And he was involved. You go back to the race riots in 1968. He was there when Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali, they had this sports forum where, you know, they met with the media. And, uh, you know, we talked about really the legacy of Muhammad Ali. And there are so many different levels to Ali. You know, his voice, even when he didn't have a voice, he, he, he still left an impact on these athletes today. And I really do believe four years ago tomorrow when Muhammad Ali passed away, there are a lot of athletes who were probably introduced to Muhammad Ali, the person for the first time. And the reaction to his death was really remarkable that a lot of the younger athletes saw what Ali did and what he stood for and stood up for. And I think that that has changed some of these athletes, most notably LeBron James. LeBron James is not afraid to say what he thinks, to be out there. And uh, I have admiration for that. Because when we tell them to shut up and dribble, you're telling them to be selfish and not think as a person, just as an athlete. And uh, I think you've seen that with Dwayne Wade. You've seen that with Chris Paul. And you've seen that with other athletes, not just uh, NBA players. NBA is still trying to figure this out of when they come back, how they come back, how many teams are involved in all of this. And... Uh, They'll figure it out. I don't need 22. I don't need all 30 teams. I think 16 would be enough, but it feels like they're going to do 20 to uh, somehow, someway get Zion Williamson into the postseason. Now, it's not going to be considered the postseason for the 16 through 20 teams. Those are play-in. When you make the tournament, you don't make the tournament until after the play-in game. You're not in the tournament. But these teams won't be considered playoff teams until they actually get into the actual playoffs. They'll be play-in games, but not to be confused with the playoffs. McLovin, you got a poll question for me? So we started the first couple hours with, are you okay with MLB permanently going to 14 games if they do it this year? And 60% say no. Uh, I think we should put back up that NBA poll. Are you better off? Would you want to see 16, 20, 22, or 30? What do people want to see? I don't know. I, I think they just want to see anything right now. I, I just don't think we need all 30 teams in there. But the big concern is you're going to have franchises st stagnant from March until December, because I do believe that's when we'll start next year's season. And that's a long time. And I think what they're saying is, can we get together? Uh, can we showcase? Can we get our younger players out there? Because most of these teams probably have a lot of younger players who aren't making the playoffs. But this isn't about smaller markets because you've got Detroit and Golden State and New York, Atlanta. These aren't small markets. 
Yeah, McLovin. If I'm like a nine-year-old kid who loves a team, even if they're not in the playoffs, I want to see them come back here for something, even if it's symbolic. You know, and you mentioned young players and development. It does seem there's there's reasons, aren't there, to bring everyone back? Yeah, but I'm also looking at the more players, the more potential risk here. And if you want to get the season, all it takes is, let's say somebody from Chicago tests positive or the Knicks test positive. Leave it to the Knicks. They'd have somebody testing positive. Um, that'd be the only thing positive about the Knicks. But if that happens, then all of a sudden, what does that do to Orlando? I just, as long as you got testing in place, let's, let's just get through this season the best we can. And that would mean if you want to have 20 teams, great. And then you have playing games, great. And then let's just move on. Try to get a, a, a so-called full season out of the way. Uh, we talked about baseball with where baseball is right now. Is it going to be 50 games? Is it going to be 114? Those, that's the difference between the owners and the players. Maybe you settle somewhere around 80. I do think we'll have baseball. It's just a question of how everybody gets paid. All the details that we don't really care about. All we want to know is when do you start and where? And can I go watch? That's really what we want to know. But I did want to know, are the owners telling the truth? Because the, the, the players are painted in a negative light here. They're the greedy ones. Hey, I'm not coming back unless I get paid. They're the ones on the front lines. They're, they're the ones that have to come back and play. The owners just have to provide all the safeguards are best they can. Players actually have to come back and play. But I wanted to, uh, I saw an article on 538, uh, the, that website, and uh, Neil Payne is going to join us. It, and there was a lot of information in there. And I came away saying, maybe the owners aren't being completely honest here, go figure, about the how much money they're going to lose with this. Because I get the feeling, somehow, some way, those owners are still going to make some money. Here was another story, and it may not be a big story to you today, but it will be a big story. Clemson wide receiver Justin Ross, he made a splash on the national scene. That was two years ago. Had a good freshman year. That national title game against Alabama, he had 153 yards receiving and a touchdown. Clemson won the national title. Great sophomore year. Expected to be a first-round pick. He got some bad news this week. He expected to be a top-ten pick. He got a stinger that he suffered right before the program shut down in March. They found that he was born with a congenital fusion in his spine. He will have surgery this Friday, and his football future is really unknown. And this is a great player. Great college player, that's for sure. You know, players are always risking something for their health, but a spine injury, that's amplified. You know, this isn't a knee hamstring he's going to have to sit out an entire year and then he would probably have to come back to Clemson maybe to sort of reestablish himself I mean it might be a case of you know he works out for people he would be eligible get, to go to the NFL if he even if he sits out that year but uh, Justin Ross uh, would probably be the first wide receiver off the board big kid talented uh, roughed up Alabama in the national title game, but a uh, spine injury is something that he was born with is going to keep him out of action here for this upcoming season. Yeah, Paul. You know, there's been a lot of athletes who got injured, and you said Todd Gurley with his knee, Willis McGahee knee. Was it Sam Bradford had a shoulder yeah. his senior year? But it, it just seems like a whole different ballpark. There are a couple of football items that I saw. Peter King, 
put out his power rankings. Now, I normally don't acknowledge these things, but Peter King says the Patriots are 21st in his new power rankings. So that caught my attention. And I, ba- I, th- I guess he's basically saying, you know what? This comes down to Jared Stidham. I'm just not sure how good he's going to be. Which is okay. He's got the Dolphins ranked higher in his power rankings than the Patriots. How about that one? <laughs> I think it just it just sunk in with McLovin. He, the Miami Dolphins? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's the only one. Yeah. Peter King has the Bills ranked 13th, the Dolphins ranked 19th in his power rankings. So that caught my attention there of New England. And should Buffalo be better? Probably so. Here's the other thing. People are looking at odds for the MVP, and now we think, well, there's that second-year MVP. Mahomes did it. Lamar Jackson did it. Now they're trying to troubleshoot and go, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, and you're seeing a lot of money go on these two players. Their second year, can they make that leap? Now, you got to be good. Your team has to be good for you to win the MVP. Lamar Jackson's team, what they have 13 wins. You know, Mahomes putting up 50 touchdown passes, but they were good. I don't know if Josh Allen statistically is going to put up great numbers. You know, one of the, because you're going to have to compete passing wise with Mahomes and running wise with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's going to throw the ball a little more, run a little bit less. What's Mahomes do for an encore? Kyler Murray is intriguing because he got DeAndre Hopkins. Now, now the team is a little bit better, but they're probably, well, they're not as good as the Niners. They're not as good as Seattle. They might be even with the Rams. I don't know if he can win enough to be MVP. Josh Allen, if you win the division, are you putting up impressive numbers? Because you can't win this with just, I'm the quarterback of the best team with the best record in the AFC. That's not going to happen. I would still go, I'll take Patrick Mahomes and I'll let you have everybody else. Can you check and see where Peter King has Tampa? They're probably a top... Are they a top five team? Mm, they're the five spot. Oh, a seven and nine team. Seven and nine from last year. Yeah, they lost a quarterback who threw thirty oh, touchdowns, God. bringing in an old guy. Yeah, but <laughs> they also had a guy who threw thirty interceptions. Yes, McLovin. I'm looking at the second year MVP before Mahomes. It was Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton in his fifth year, I think. Aaron, fourth year, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, all old QBs. Yeah, this, and that's not happening. I don't. Josh Allen's not winning the MVP this next year. Just not. But the Bills hype it has to scare Buffalo fans, right? They've been second-class citizens in that division forever, and now everyone expects them to win it. Now, I, I'm looking at pro football focus. It says four of the past five winners had odds longer than 30 to 1. But this is based off of a second-year quarterback making that leap like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes did. The story is about why that bet is not necessarily as safe as people think. Saying second-year, historically, the second-year guys have not done that well. Now, Carson Wentz was leading candidate 
as the yeah. second year quarterback, he that, would have won the MVP in 2017. You're right. That would have been the third guy. So you would have had three in a row there. I just don't know if you have. I, Kyler Murray quietly had a good year. Josh Allen at the end of the year, certainly interesting. He's fun to watch, but I, I, I just don't know if he's going to put up great numbers there. Yeah, McLevin. Yeah, what about like uh, the Sam Darnolds? Any chance he'll blow up? I just don't think they're good enough. And I know these are third-year guys, but Baker? Well, Baker could. Baker could. I, I guess if you were looking, I don't know what his odds are. Like Dak Prescott's odds are pretty high for him to win the MVP. I mean, high in a good way. I think he's third. Is he the third? His odds are the third best to win the MVP this year, I believe. I would think Russell Wilson Jr. the third at some point is going to win an MVP. Can't, can't get it. It's too late. He, his window's over. Yeah. Russell Wilson cannot win an MVP, and you know I'm a big fan. He averages 35 touchdowns a year and 10 picks, uh, runs for 800, 600 yards. Yeah. He does it every year. He's not going to throw 50 touchdowns on that team. Yeah. He can't win it. Yeah. He might win one of those. You know, they give the, uh, the Oscar to somebody, like it's a, a career Oscar. Paul Newman, color yeah. money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Paul Newman, color money. Yeah, but I'm talking about after the fact, if you didn't oh, win it, and then, they, and then they, no, no, not when you're dead, <laughs> but when your career is over, they give you an Oscar. It's like, like your career is dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Career is dead. Um, I was talking about Colin Kaepernick and this ridiculous idea of a what a former uh, NFL exec said in a column that uh, he wrote, Joe Lockhart, hey, the Vikings should bring in Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, ceremonial signing for Colin Kaepernick. What if Colin Kaepernick comes in and wants to kneel in tribute to George Floyd? Eh, I don't think the Vikings going to be cool on that. Here's some numbers on Kaepernick. Among those who qualify in NFL history, Touchdowns to interception ratio. Colin Kaepernick is sixth all time in NFL history. Touchdown to interception ratio. 72 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Now, he's not my ideal quarterback. He's, he is... He was Lamar Jackson before Lamar Jackson from the standpoint of what he could do and how he could do it. But there are a lot of quarterbacks who are worse than Colin Kaepernick. If I bring him in, I got to bring him in to start. I'm not bringing him in to be a backup quarterback. And if I'm Colin Kaepernick, I don't want, hey, you're going to give me a ceremonial job here? But there's too much baggage to bring him in if he's not going to be your starting quarterback. Because if he plays well, it's like when Michael Vick got signed after coming out of prison. Remember? We talked about it. Like, who's going to sign Michael Vick? And Andy Reid, Tony Dungy reached out to Andy Reid and co-signed for Michael, and Andy decided to bring in Michael Vick. And Philadelphia is not an easy place to play, even when you don't have baggage. And they brought in Michael Vick, and he somehow resumed his career. It feels like Colin Kaepernick is more toxic than Michael Vick. But Michael Vick was three years younger than Kaepernick is right now. So when Mike came out of prison, he was 29. Kaepernick at 32 with a guy who uses his legs as much as his arm. 
I was also uh, keeping an eye on uh, some of the comments about Cam Newton. Ron Rivera is uh, Cam's former coach in Carolina. He was asked about Cam Newton. And Ron Rivera basically said what I think a lot of coaches and GMs and scouts are saying. Until we see him in person, we're just taking everybody's word. And I thought when Washington didn't bring him in, but they brought in Kyle Allen, that told me a little bit about Cam Newton and his health. Because if he's healthy, then he, he's going to want to play. He's going to want to start. I don't think that he's going to come in. I don't think he's wired to be a backup quarterback. There's certain guys who understand it. Like, okay, this is what my job is. I'm going to be a backup quarterback. That's not Cam Newton. I can't bring him in unless I feel like he's going to start. Yeah, McLovin. There was a narrative earlier in the offseason that this uh, this is the year to have a backup quarterback in case some test positive for Corona miss parts of games. Oh, I don't really? know. If, and, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of shiny quarter backup quarterbacks, a lot of high-end backup quarterbacks, Nick Foles and Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton. Like, do you, maybe it's a year to bring in Cam, maybe even if you're a really good team. Like, you've mentioned the Seahawks. Like, I don't know. Like somebody who's secure, and just in case, if you think you can win a Super Bowl, it's a terrible reason not to win it because you didn't want to sign Cam. Well, Russell never gets injured. Dak Prescott doesn't get injured. But if you're going to bring him in, I mean, that's great insurance for Russell. But I I just can't imagine that Cam's going to go, you know, let me come in for a million dollars to be a backup here. he, He, in his heart, has to believe he's better than Russell Wilson. Like, like you're Cam Newton. How many players does he acknowledge are truly better than him at that position? If he was on, I would say, how many quarterbacks are better than you? And I wonder if he would say anybody was truly better than him. Each of the last seven MVPs in the NFL has come from a team that won its division. The last MVP who came from a team that did not win its division was not a quarterback. It was Adrian Peterson in 2013. Stat of the day, stat of the day, stat of the day, stat of the day. Here comes that what? Stat of the day. But that was a great story. Came back after blowing out his knee and rushed for 2,000 yards. How many more yards? Like, is he, how close is he to making it really interesting? If he didn't get suspended or injured, he's, he's threatening. He's knocking on Emmett Smith's door. Yeah, Paul. Uh, he would be probably past Emmett Smith if he played every game of his career. Uh, uh, Adrian Peterson's at 14,200 yards. And I did the math on this a couple of years ago. I think he's missed 31 NFL games due to injury and suspension. He averages 87 yards an NFL game. So you're tacking on a, a 3,000 easy. So he's at, he would be at uh, 17,000 and a half yards if he just played. Nobody's catching Emmett Smith. Not in today's NFL. Just not happening. Can you stay, you know, how long do you, are you going to play? How much does it cost to have that running back on his second contract with you? Do you want to spend the money on that position? And then the number of, touches you get when it comes to running is going to be cut in half because it feels like teams are going with a couple of running backs and the number of balls that you're catching out of the backfield as well. Frank Gore is 
Where can Frank end up? Frank Gore right now is at 15,003, yeah. and he ran for about 600 yards last year. Let's say he plays one more season and gets 500 yards. The worst I think he could be is third all time. <laughs> and nobody can name a signature run or moment for Frank Gore. Yes, McLevin. I'm looking for the youngest, active, highest guy. I got Ezekiel Elliott at 115, 5,400 yards. He's 24. He's like the only guy under 30 in the top 120. You're yeah. right. There's no one that's even coming close. Yeah, that that's going to stand for a little while. Yeah, Paul. But Zeke's numbers are fantastic. He's averaging 96 and a half yards a game for his NFL career. That's that's one of the top five starts of all time. Yeah, he benefits from having an offense, a great line, and uh, an offense that's going to be probably one of the top in the NFL. But I just don't know if you're going to load up Zeke Elliott the way they did those first couple of years in the NFL, and he's a fifteen to eighteen hundred yard rusher. Yeah, McLovin. Uh, would Barry Sanders have run away with this record if he had kept playing? Yes. yes. Yeah. Imagine you're so good that you just say, "I don't want to play anymore. I'm tired of losing." And he was never injured. I guess he was a different running back. There's always generational. O.J. Simpson was the, well, Jim Brown first, and then it was O.J. where I went, wow, that's something completely different. Then you saw some other running backs in there. Barry Sanders was one of those where you go, there's nobody like that. No one ever got a good hit on him. And he didn't have, he didn't have one all-pro offensive lineman, I think, in his entire career. I think he had one all-pro on offense with him, and that was Herman Moore, wide receiver. Yeah, Paul. Very averaged 100 yards a game for his career, yeah. 100 even. Um, he finished with 15,300 yards. If he played two more years with average Barry Sanders seasons, 1,500 yards a game uh, season, he'd be at uh, 18 and a half, yeah. which is right there with Emmett. And maybe he'd only been 32. But he doesn't care. I said, you ended up with 99 touchdowns. Don't you want to go back? He goes, why would I do that? <laughs> He just, he is the most unique athlete I've ever been around. No athlete I'd ever been around thought the way Barry did. And that's saying a lot. He was so selfless. He just didn't, he was like, all right, whatever. I don't care. Hey, you can win the rushing title against Christian Okoye. That's okay. I don't want to go back again. <laughs> let my backup get some uh, touches here. All right, let me take a break. We're getting to the bottom line of baseball and the owners and this cry for poverty. We'll check in with Neil Payne from 538. He had some really good information yesterday on this, and I wanted to bring it to your attention. We'll talk about that coming up next year on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This award-winning program, I don't know if we've won any awards, brought to you by Mercedes-AMG. Be prepared for whatever comes your way. It's the all-new GT four-door coupe. Life is a race. Visit your local dealership for a test drive today. If you missed any interviews this week or any week from the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, go to the Dan Patrick Show app. Watch and listen from inside the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, Mercedes-AMG driving performance. Neil Payne, senior writer for 538, previously wrote for ESPN and uh, the New York Times, consulted with the, uh, for the NBA's Atlanta Hawks. And the latest article, I saw this yesterday, and it said, MLB owners say they could lose $4 billion even if games are played. Does the math add up? 
I'm not good at math, but Neil is, and he joins us now. Does the math add up there, Neil? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Dan. And uh, based on my calculations, it really doesn't. And it's tough to find a way for it to add up to that $4 billion loss. So what I did was I looked at these estimates that you've probably seen these every year. Forbes puts out for the amount of money that teams make, uh, how they make it. So, you know, gate receipts, but also other sources of revenue and then how much they spend. And the big bulk of that is on players. And I tried to itemize each of the ways that they make money and, and try to figure out how much of that would be lost if they had to play games without fans, if they had to play fewer games, and so on and so forth. So right off the bat, the league makes about 40 to 45% of its revenue from just fans coming to games and not just ticket sales, but also concessions and parking and all of the things around coming to a game. That's all out the window, but that's still in a full season leaves you with about $5 billion to work with, of which varying amounts will still be almost totally guaranteed when we're talking about TV money, uh, even if you play without fans uh, or even have a shortened season. So when you do the math on it, it starts to kind of look like these claims of, of a $4 billion loss uh, don't make that much sense. Are the owners lying a little or a lot here, Neil? I think they – so I don't want to accuse them of lying because I think that there are other – people have hinted at this, even Scott Boris is one of them – have hinted at the the loans and the debt that these owners take on with the assumption that teams will appreciate in value and uh, be able to generate ever-escalating revenue. They've broken the revenue record who knows how many straight years, including last year – so, you know, there are two ways to look at it. There, there's a way to look at it as self-contained, playing baseball, money from playing baseball versus how much you're paying the players and other employees. Do you make a profit? And in that case, I think they are not telling the truth when it comes to that. But when you take into account these other things, uh, th they may well come out behind on that in the short term. But the big question is, should the players be made to take cuts to their salary to subsidize these investments that the owners didn't have to make, they chose to make or take out these loans? Uh, and the owners are getting equity out of this, whereas the players don't get anything uh, in exchange. They don't get interest on uh, the, the money that they're deferring potentially to allow the owners to see fit to play games. If I made you the arbitrator, how would you bring both sides together? Yeah, I mean, I would come to a compromise. It seems like the the players want to play more games because for them, especially if they get, they get paid on a per game basis, they get paid more money. It makes sense. The owners want to play fewer games because really they're not making the money from having fans in the stands already. So they don't care to a certain extent because their TV revenue is largely guaranteed, especially if the playoffs are played. Their main focus is getting the playoffs in. It would be a catastrophic situation if for whatever reason, because of the virus, there were no playoffs. Then you'd start to talk about that money to have to give up. So I would come to a compromise where, you know, the players want a 100-game season. The the owners seem to want it to be pushed down to maybe 50 games. It seems like a 75-game season where the players give up, uh, you know, maybe they're not paid 50% of their money off of that uh, of what they would expect, but not to ask them to go all the way down to 24%, which was one of the uh, proposals where they were talking about paying Mike Trout, you know, $5 million uh, uh, compared with his usual salary um, for a half a season worth of games. Uh, and they're still even now trying to get them down to 31%. 
So it seems like some compromise where you let the owners, you know, allow them to play fewer games, but pay them roughly their usual salary or more of their per game salary. And if you have to defer salary into the future, do that, but also work out a deal to maybe have interest associated with that, maybe an escrow account. How many owners do you think, if you're looking in the financial aspect of this, that don't want this season to come back? Because that's been floated out there, whether it's true or not. And I didn't know if that's a bargaining chip here. Yeah, I mean, there, there are probably a few owners that didn't make money last year. And if you look at, you know, the Forbes numbers, they talk about the Baltimore Orioles are in there. The Toronto Blue Jays are in there. The Marlins are in there. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the Orioles and the Marlins actually didn't have much revenue coming from gate receipts because they built deliberately terrible teams and also, you know, sort of cut down their salaries. Uh, on, what about on Oakland? The on Oakland that. A's feel like that's a tenuous situation. Yeah. And even uh, according to the public estimates, even the Oakland A's made money last year in terms of net operating income. And again, that is before some of these loans uh, and, and some of the other uh, financial situation from the owners come into play. So I don't doubt that when you look at that in the equation, you, you might find owners that are like, look, it's probably not worth it. Or at the very least, we're not going to make the, the appreciation of our team that we would expect in a normal year, which was the basis for investing in this team to begin with but you know they have to understand that that uh you know even in a major league baseball team ownership situation making a profit especially a large profit or a record-breaking profit every year is not guaranteed and and there are sort of bigger things at play than than just whether or not one season would find them in the red i'll leave you with this uh what do you think the chances are that we still have what we consider a so-called baseball season I think they're high. I mean, I don't know what uh, what you would consider so-called because I think if there is like a 50-game season, it's going to be very interesting in terms of the types of seasons guys have. Some people will probably hit, maybe hit 400. You can see that. <laughs> uh, and also, you know, will the winner have an asterisk attached to their name more so than maybe some teams we've seen recently like the Astros for a different reason. Um, but I, I think in terms of the odds of them actually having any kind of season, are they're still very high because – most of the owners have too much to lose to not play, and the players certainly have too much to lose to not play. There's just too much of a financial interest, and that's before you get into the larger issue of what baseball's future could look like if they go, you know, with the optics of them haggling over money in the middle of a pandemic and a recession if they decide not to play a game when they had the option to do so. Neil, thanks for joining us. I enjoyed uh, the deep dive on 538. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure. It's uh, Neil Ping, a senior writer for 538. He used to write for uh, ESPN Insider. Hey, you start to look at the numbers here and you go, all right, they have to come back. But then as McLovin was talking about, you know, the legitimacy of the numbers, there's no other sport that we care more about numbers than baseball. Even after the steroid era, we still care about these numbers and somebody's place in history. And imagine if... Jacob deGrom wins a third consecutive Cy Young with seven and four record, which don't say that's not out of the question because we've seen this before with Jacob deGrom. Has he won more than 12 games with, with either oh, of these Cy Youngs? 11 wins and 10 wins. Yeah. So if, if you're playing fewer games and all of a sudden you go seven and four with a 1.12 ERA. Yeah, McLovin. And that would be, it'd be more like two and one because he, we were doing the math. He might get 10 to 11 starts. Yeah, Paul. If you have an 80 game season, you're getting 
what, 15 starts? Matt, well, 15 it depends. Starts? I don't know what they're going to do with their rotations. If you have 80 games, how are managers going to manage their rotation here? How many starts are you going to get? Uh, you imagine if you go on like a, a five-game losing streak, like that would you're basically eliminated from mathematically eliminated from uh, playoff contention. But you know, do you get to 75 games? Yes. What if there's incentive in your in your contract uh, about finishing top five in MVP? Do you hand out awards? And I mean, there's a lot of things that are thrown in here, but it can be sorted out. It's just they've they've created such potholes here along the way. There's just such distrust. Yeah, McLovin. Are you saying that teams would burn out their great pitchers if it's only a 75 game season? Like remember Strasburg, they had to pull out after. So they yeah. they do Degrom every three or four days. Then is that what you're implying? No, I just don't know if it's more about your starters. Is it more about your really like how do you how are you going to have your pitching staff look with a 75 game schedule? And maybe there nothing changes there, but you know wins are going to be at a premium here and. How often are you putting somebody back out there? Do you have a five-man rotation? Do you have a four-man rotation? I'd just be curious about that. All right, we'll take a break. Last call for phone calls, what we learn, what's in store tomorrow. I saw the Traeger grill is fired up back there. And Alan, the IT guy, was out there with some steaks. Anybody know about this? There, there are three hammer steaks. I don't Hammers. know if that's the actual title. They might be. Oh, those, are, those might be the ribeye. Yeah. Those look pretty good. Like they're, those are thick. Yeah, he needs a spotter to carry. It's like a cake, like a, a <laughs> like a layer cake or something. It's so thick. All right, we'll take. He needs a spotter. All right, we'll take a break here. We'll come back. Close up shop after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, nine until noon Eastern, six to nine Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio, and you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR, or stream us live every day at youtube.com slash the Dan Patrick Show. Keep this in mind, hopefully when baseball comes back, let's say you have 75 games. There's talk that baseball rosters will be expanded to as many as 30 players. Uh, Maybe a six or seven man pitching rotation. Also, you're going to have less travel, so it'd be possible to have fewer off days to get more games in. It's entirely possible that in an 80-game season, the team's ace would make about 12 to 13 starts. There are going to be teams that are going to have really good pitching staffs because they're going to have six or seven starters. And if your ace is going 11 or 12 starts, Jacob deGrom could win the Cy Young going five and four. Yes, Paulie. Why would MLB allow the uh, the teams to expand rosters, thus paying guys who are in the minors full boat, minor you know full salary? I have no idea. That seems uh, counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, it does. Why would you need more players for a shortened season? I have I have, <laughs> no, I, I, just, I, I don't know. Especially when you're losing money. I know you don't want to be spending that. You want to be spending more money to lose more money, and you're going to be bringing these guys up from the minor leagues, or some of these guys. You know, who would be getting a whole lot less to be in the minor leagues, and you're going to put them up in the major league roster. You have to play, pay them the uh, league minimum. Uh, Blake in Missouri joins us. Hi, Blake. What do you have uh, on your mind today? Thank you, Pete. Um, and not, not to uh, misconstrue what you said. But no, not good, Blake. Blake, not a good quality there. 
Not a good quality there. Uh, let me see. I'm not the only one who thought that uh, it was not a good move to have the Vikings bring in Colin Kaepernick. It's basically a PR move. Here's uh, Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports senior writer, courtesy of Fox Sports Radio. We spent three years with these canards about, you know, oh, it's skill level and it's he's he wants to be a starter or it's his salary demands or it's this or it's that. And then, you know, Joe Lockhart comes out and goes, no, it was just bad for business. Right. What about talent? He just teams didn't want him because they were afraid he he'd hurt their bottom line. And so, I mean, to bring him in now, it's just another continuation of him being used as, you know, a prop, a prop in the bottom line. And I think it would just be the reverse of what happened before. You didn't want to keep him out before. Or you want to keep him out before because he'd hurt the bottom line. And now you're going to what? You're going to flip-flop on it because what? It would help your image. He's just a tool at that point. Why would you, why would you do that? Yeah, it's embarrassing. And, you know, here's Joe Lockhart who worked in communications for the NFL. And, this is poor communication. Hey, bring him in. Now we'll give you a chance. And of all the cities we're going to give you a chance in, it will be Minneapolis. And it's just a coincidence. Now, he didn't say it's just a coincidence, but it's, it's just a bad look. You're, you don't want him, but now you need him. Or maybe you need him. Or maybe he could help the situation. What if this is uh, another city? Any other city, you're going to bring him back? It's just Minneapolis is the only place where he can sign. I don't think that was well thought out. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Not saying, I'm just saying, I don't think that was well thought out. Uh, thank you to all the people who realized after I watched the show Outer Banks, they had some uh, other cheesy shows that uh, they thought I might be interested in. Yes, yeah, Eaton. You getting a lot of support? Yeah. And, um, from the OB fam? My daughter, my youngest daughter, was like, uh, I hear you talked about Outer Banks and John B. And I go, yeah. She goes, why would you do that? Why would you admit that? And I go, uh, I don't know. She has a point. Yeah. No, she's right. Fair. Yeah. She said, why would you admit that? And I go, I don't know. And then uh, Fritzy goes, uh, yeah, my daughter and I and, and my wife have some uh, shows for you. You don't have them. Hey, we're in the car. She's 15. She's a, a freshman in high school. And she's like, she was excited uh, that you're watching that. She's going to have some other ideas for what, what you should be tuning into. Oh, I thought you said she had ideas for me. She does. Oh. I, have to, I have to get them from her. She didn't uh, jot them down just yet. But she, That's if, a tease. If you like that uh, show, then she's got a few other shows that her and her friends are watching. That is the entire show tomorrow. Well, actually, the way it's great because the way that that sort of Netflix algorithm works is you're just going to be flooded with preteen dramas. If you liked Outer Banks, you'll like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen Carly's crew or who knows? I don't know. I'm just making up a show. I, Carly? Yes, McLovin. Riverdale. Oh, my wife said that. She goes, oh, if you watch that, you got to watch Riverdale. And I go, no, I, I can't do that. It's good. It's like critically acclaimed. It's not bad. It's clinically acclaimed? Critically. critically? <laughs> Both. Is this Archie and Jughead and Veronica? Right, but like a dark modern version. Hey, Luke Perry's in it. <laughs> dark. Hey, Jughead was always a dark character. He was always brooding and, you know, back in the day. Archie. No, it, they take that and it's honestly super dark. It's like a murder mystery. I'm not kidding. A hot teen murder mystery. Exactly. Where do I sign up? I'm sort of teened out right now with what I've been watching. Like, I got to get back to, to something a little little uh, manlier. Is there someone building a house in Alaska you can watch tonight? I, I was watching Building Off the Grid. Okay. Main Cabin Masters. 
I, I, I'm going to need a look. And usually I'm telling people what they need to watch. But, you know, I've been blowing through Better Call Saul. I breeze right through that. Bosch, Ozark. I never did Tiger King. I did about 30 minutes. I felt so sorry for those animals. I'm like, nope, I am not going to do this. And now that, hey, we're going to do a TV version of this, then we'll do a movie version of this. Nope. No, not going to do it. Hey, you're not missing anything at this point. No. Even just getting through it, I was like, God, this is stupid. No, I felt sorry for those animals. Those beautiful animals. And then you got these knuckleheads out there. Uh, final results of the poll question, McLevin. So for the last hour, I put up how many teams should the NBA bring back? 60% say just 16, and then 20, 30, 22. Well, I got to get Zion in there. So however many it takes to get Zion in there. Coincidentally, Just 16 is the name of the new show you're going to start watching. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> nice! <laughs> Put a bow on it. Oh, teen angst. I love it. Why? I don't know why I would watch something that had teen angst in it. I'm so thankful that I'm out of that with my kids. Like, we, moved, we, we survived. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got out of that world. Oh. There were days when I have, and I have three daughters, and I had no idea what was going on. One was crying, one was laughing, and one had not really sure if they were going to cry or laugh. Talk about treading water. Treading water with my daughters. They're, they're great, they're wonderful, but there'd be days where I go to my wife, what the hell is going on here? I'm hearing there's a CW show you might want to check out called All American. That's available on Netflix. Okay. Maybe, maybe you should check that out. Andrew, are you familiar with that one? You haven't seen All American yet? <laughs> I'll there's do even a, a quasi. It's the worst football you'll ever see on TV, by the way. Like actual like football football. Oh. Yeah, I don't want a sports-related one. Mm. Todd, what did you learn today? Spring of 1966, Kareem remembers seeing Muhammad Ali for the first time doing magic tricks on Sunset Boulevard. I love that story. I love that story. Uh, McLovin, what did you learn? Kareem told the story about a locker room attendant who would fake writing the names on the baseball <laughs> of the players on the team. Seton O'Connor, what did you learn? You can finally let go of that damned ESPN college basketball list. Kareem has given you permission. Yes! Paulie, what did you learn? Talk about the greatest college basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. Kareem said, uh, well, that's, uh, that's wrong. What we learned brought to you by LegalZoom. No matter what happens, want to make sure your loved ones are taken care of. Set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today. The right estate plan. LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom.com. One more item as we close out the show. And welcome to the Traeger Hood. I'm sure that you uh, want to be best on the block this summer. 